Before we begin, we would like to issue a trigger warning. Today's episode will include conversations about sexual abuse. If that is something that you are uncomfortable with, we invite you to catch us on the next episode. Thanks so much. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Butterfly Effect podcast. I am Millie Murillo, spiritual coach and astrologer. I am here with my podcast host, Ashley Torrance, psychospiritual counselor and medium. And we're here today to talk about a topic that I think is close to our hearts in various ways because of our experiences throughout our life with this. And today's topic is how we love our men. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot about women empowerment. We talk a lot about the relationship amongst women, the relationship to ourselves, how patriarchy has really affected the way we see ourselves as women and other women. And I think that one thing we leave out is what that has done to our outlook, our relationship with men. And so I know that I've personally had a whole journey with my relationship with men for various reasons that go from abuse, different types of abuse to being closed off, incredibly judgmental towards men, and the journey to come back to they are a product or they are also victims, if you will, of this patriarchy as well. And how do I understand that? Interestingly enough, what I found was that that came through my own healing and understanding of myself. So I wonder what's coming up for you, Ashley, because we'll obviously elaborate throughout our conversation, but what are your first thoughts or what were the first things that came up for you as you know we, we brought this topic to light? Mm, I, I feel like it's so important. I was really grateful that you brought this to my attention as a possibility and I notice I feel a lot of sadness, you know, that comes up around the way we love men or don't love men. You know, this is about the way you and I love men, but there's sadness because of the wounding and myself around it, around how I feel about men. And also the fact that I have an incredible husband and two sons mm. and how I hold the duality of my own trauma with men and then how do I love them? And it's pretty compartmentalized, I realize. And I have to be really mindful of the way I speak to my sons mm -hmm. so that so that I don't bring some of that stuff into those conversations. So I notice sadness. I notice like I'm, I'm in the midst of healing some of this stuff and also hope. And I think the more we talk about this, the more we support men and support them in their healing and giving them more space to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So perhaps the, the best way to kind of guide this conversation is to kind of go through our journeys and see what comes up. Mm -hmm. Sounds okay with you? Yeah. So it's it's really interesting that you brought up, you know, the way that you're mindful of when you speak to your boys, because one of the things that came up for me as you were saying that is how I noticed that there are moments in which my mom still has really interesting interactions with my brother in particular. Mm -hmm that I can kind of sense come from that wounded part of her and it, it, that wounded part of her that has a particular, you know, wound pain opinion about men. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to observe and, and for him to still at 33, 34 years old, still question, you know, what the fuck, where does the, where's that coming from? He is just living his life and, something gets triggered in my mom to where she says certain things. So for me, my introduction of men into this life was first my, my father and, and my mom, they pretty much had a one night stand and that's how I came to be. So mm -hmm. he was never really a part of my life, my biological father. And so then shortly after I was born, my, my mom started a relationship with the man who was my stepfather for about 10 years, that was violent more often than not, right? So my introduction to a man as a child who was defenseless and innocent and brand new to the world was men are violent, men are scary, men are dangerous, men hit women, mm -hmm. men are drunks. I mean, I'm telling you this now in conversation and I, there's a part of me that's like, my God, that's horrifying. 
right? That was the word that came to mind, horrifying. That's horrifying. And then being molested at the age of what, four? Mm. four? Yeah, about the age of four by, you know, an uncle whose face of that moment, of the first moment, I never can get out of my head. Mm. That image will be with me forever. It has been. So by the age of four, there was already a formed, there was already a formed idea, a formed concept of what a man is and does in this life. And that was my introduction to that. And then having the little brother who was my best friend and who was also very soft and very kind and very, he was a boy, he was a child and very shy, being mistreated by his father, my stepfather, for being too soft at the age of two, three, four, five. Mm. So I paint that picture, (laughs) a very pretty one, a a very painful one. One, because that is my story. And two, because I imagine that mine isn't the only picture that was painted in that way at that that age. Mm. No, no. It's it's unfortunately more common than I think we realize that because of the patriarchy and how men have been raised and how women have um, in some ways supported it and then been brainwashed to believe that's true and then powerless, um, believed to be felt powerless or too traumatized to change it. Right. Yeah. And how do you feel that, like as a teenager, do you remember your reaction to men? I think, you know, with that came a lot of being sexualized from a very, very young age, getting a lot of attention from men. Mm. I don't know. That's hard. It's it's hard. But unfortunately, I think, I think young girls do experience that. It's really Mm -hmm. disturbing. And the fact that you experience that, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Getting, I remember being just looked at sexualized by men as early as the age of 10, Mm. you know, and then that took me into my teenage years, which I I was afraid of men. I, I was afraid of men. I didn't I didn't trust them, but I also remember having this strange feeling of wanting their attention and approval. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I only knew love from from a man in a particular way, and so that was that really. I had a very mis- misconstrued idea, or maybe not misconstrued. It was just constructed by my experience right. of, you know, my of what it meant to to have a loving relationship with a man. All I knew was that it looked a certain way, that it was harsh, that it was hard, that it was heartbreaking, that it was violent, dramatic, that it was volatile, that it wasn't sustainable over time, that it was all of the things that. <laughs> make up for a very traumatized nervous system. And what we know from trauma is that when that's the experience of love or attention or connection, you know, let's say sexual attraction, love, sex, pleasure, even I'm not saying this for you specifically, but I'm saying for people, especially experience sexual abuse, they're overcoupled with danger, predatory experiences, fear, a lack of safety you know, Mm -hmm. tension. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what love and sex and pleasure and attraction could be in one hand or what we hope it would be very soft, fluid, exciting, joyous, expansive, and open. Those are just some words, but when you have that kind of trauma, it gets overcoupled with the other. And so the brain wires those experiences together until you start to tease them out. And I think that's part of the problem with a lot of people who've experienced that is that they've overcoupled these things. Mm-hmm. And overcoupled their experience of men. So men are now overcoupled with those traumatic experiences. Right. 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 There's something about getting to a point in your life where there has to be this realization of not all men are the same. And that can be a very hard thing to say, let alone believe. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it, Every single woman in my life that is significant in my life has had an awful experience with a man Wow! in some way, shape or form. And so this brings us to what has happened to our men, right? Mm -hmm. So I just listed essentially, or kind of gave a, a cliff notes version of, you know, up until I was a teenager, my experience with men. 
And I'm, and there's a contrast here with what has happened to our men that, that my experience as a young woman would be shaped in that way, mm-hmm. mostly because of the violence of men. Yes. So how do we, I'm wondering what comes up for you? What, what has happened? What happens to our men? Well, as I'm sitting here, you know, you and I have pretty awful experiences of men from a very young age, but there's such a cultural difference. And Mm -hmm. I I wanted to, if it's okay, I would like to kind of talk before we go on, just talk about, because when you think about Mm -hmm. typical patriarchy, I come from what you think is like the evil patriarchy, you know, the white man who was worshiped as gods, you know, I mean, I come from Texas, you know, and I think that cultural piece and how it's expressed and what what your relatives were going through as men. Right. And that might be important to talk about. And then what my relatives, you know, were taught as men. It's fascinating. It wasn't expressed so differently, but the pressures and the expectations. So, you know, I grew up and surrounded by really entitled, self-indulgent men who the women in my family worshiped. They were racist. They were sexist. They were misogynist. They didn't have a lot of physical boundaries. I was raped around six or seven by a family friend. Um, I just remembered this a few months ago. And, you know, you were talking about being sexualized. What I, I look back, I just realized this recently. My biggest fights with my mother were around what I wore. And I, I always thought it was because I was a little shy or I liked comfortable clothes, which is all true. But it was around the time of this rape that I realized she wanted me to wear clothes that made me stand out. And what my body was fighting for that I couldn't put to words was, and I would never, my mom, I've mentioned it before. She was very abusive in many ways. So fighting with her was not something you went down that road if you could. Right. But when it came to this, it was because my body was like, there's a bigger predator than you out there. And I know what that predator is. And that's a man, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's just something I've kind of connected the dots. And so growing up with this idea that men are predators and they'll take whatever they want and they don't give a shit, Mm -hmm. you know, that was what I believed. And they're better than everyone. And then this is the white man. So it's like, we're we're better. I grew up, my dad belonged to a golf course. He would play his round of golf. I would go with him and he would go and cash out his bets and have a couple of drinks. Women were not allowed in the bar that he would go spend like an hour or two in after he was done. I would wait outside for him because women were not allowed. I mean, this was a country club where barely any women were allowed to play golf. There were no people of color except people that worked there. You know, so it was this Mm -hmm. just heightened exposure to this grotesque separateness and men being on this pedestal. So where am I going with this? But I think What's interesting is when we have these experiences, you know, in our bodies, we can have, we can carry what's not safe. And I, for me, men were not safe. Right. My friend, it's, it's not funny, but it is funny because you have to laugh sometimes. But she was like, she's like, I'm not scared of the pool guy. You're scared of the pool guy. You're scared of the guy across the street. You're scared of that. And I was like, oh, not every woman is scared of all these men, doctors and all these stuff. Mm. But no, mm. that's my trauma, Right men Mm -hmm. overcoupled with scary experiences. So where do we go from here? Where does this catch up with us? And what is our responsibility to heal and change around this? And what did I I say bring up for you? Because I'm sure I brought up some things. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's so powerful. So coming from being a first-generation American, having immigrant parents from Central America, you know, that American dream, right? That American dream is, is sold. And, and I can say now that it is sold. I can understand how this country can and has at some point really given people different opportunities. I, I can't take that away. And it doesn't come without a cost. And I believe that as well. I think that when I, and this is something that I've thought about, that I actually had a conversation at some point with my mom about my stepfather. And I remember this. I remember he used to work construction and he used to have a boss and his boss was a white man. Mm -hmm. And he would come home and talk about this man all the time. Like, I remember this. I remember how he would idolize this man, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel... The reason that I had this conversation with my mom is that I wanted to 
kind of confirm in some way if if what I had thought about was real, right? Because at the time I was really young. There is this desire in some way or this aspiration to be white, to aim to be a white man, a white person, and to be respected by them. But here's what I'll say about this country. I think that this country will make anyone who isn't from here never forget that they are not from here. No matter your green card, your citizenship, how long you've lived here, you've paid your taxes every year, you've never, you know, gotten received government assistance, any of that. It doesn't matter. This is a country that if you are not from here, if you are not white, fundamentally, it will never let you forget that. And in some way, shape or form, it will always remind you of that, right? So here we have these men with a lot of machismo, you know, women are to bear children, women are, you know, they have a place at home, men having multiple affairs, all of these things coming into a place that isn't their own. And that not only are they carrying those wounds with them because they weren't shown love by their own parents, it was very harsh, right? There's a lot of beating that happens in in Latin American, in in Latin cultures, a lot of it. And, And it's seen as very normal, which is interesting because I see, you know, a lot of Know, therapists and, and and parent coaches that are my age that are also first generation Americans creating platforms around we don't beat our kids we don't hit our children because we grew up being beaten by our parents mm-hmm. <laughs> but they learned that from their parents so the beatings that they received were so much worse than the ones they gave us and let me tell you those are bad <laughs> so here you have these men coming into a country that isn't their own, some speaking English, some not. And what begins to happen is that there are those, you know, because they teach English all over the world, those who come speaking English, all of a sudden have like a one up on those immigrants that don't speak English. So we start this hierarchy within our own culture, particularly with men, because there is that machismo, there is that competitiveness, there is this thing of getting ahead. And I remember my stepfather, he was very intelligent. He got a college education in in his country. He came here and to him, he was like, I can't believe I'm just a construction worker. And so for him, he had bigger dreams, right? And this white man was his ticket to that. And everything that this white man was, that's who he wanted to be. And I remember when that white man fired him, that was awful. His drinking got worse. He was always at home, more beating of my mom, more attempts to beat us. I mean, it was horrible because there is this aim to be accepted by a system that was never made for people of color. It was never made for minorities. And I, and this is me talking 30, 20 plus years ago in the eighties and the nineties. Not that long ago. Right. And I still see that. Oh yeah. No, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't imagine. I know there are attempts to change it, but I don't imagine that there is a lot that has been changed. And I really appreciate, like, I really wanted you to share that perspective because I think it's so important because we are dealing with men of, from different cultures, you know? Right. And when I try to think back and try to understand, you know, coming from where the men in my family were coming from, you know, I was sitting there like, okay, so I think this is their attempts at keeping the power, Mm. you know, anything that they were afraid of that would take away their power control, they would squash. Mm -hmm. And that's why women weren't allowed in. That's why they were racist. You know, I mean, that's part of the reason they're racist of what they're afraid of. They hate, Mm -hmm. but just watching the the lack of softness in that culture, just the, such the hard edges, a lot of drinking where I grew up, mm-hmm. not a place for emotions, not a place for softness, vulnerability, no way. I was thinking of mm-hmm. Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and she had a man come up to her in the audience. You talk about vulnerability and you talk about men and how you want them to be vulnerable. She go, He goes, but my wife and my daughter, he goes, they like me on my white horse. Mm-hmm. It would make them sick if I fell mm-hmm. off of it. So they do mm-hmm. whatever they can to keep me on that white horse. And I think about, I think a lot about 
the men I knew growing up, there was a belief they needed to stay there, make the money, Mm -hmm. control things, not be vulnerable. And that's a safe place. And I think that's how the women participated. And they made money and they kept, and especially in my family, you know, provided for them Mm -hmm. nice houses or clothes or jewelry or cars or whatever it was. I remember my mom used to spend my dad's money, like ridiculous. And I would just watch it and it would make me sick to my stomach at the entitlement. And she didn't do anything. (laughs) And there were these roles they were playing. And I was just like, how did he let her write those checks? But that was part of these agreements. Right. And and then also just seeing the hard edges of addiction in our family and that abuse on some sides of the family, but just the shutting down of any vulnerability or emotions or sensitivity. I think my dad is actually a really sensitive being, but was not allowed to express it. Mm-hmm. He needed mm-hmm. to toughen up. And that's so interesting that you say that because this is, I think this is the perfect segue to move into how do we move to hold space Mm. for those men that don't, even for the men that do express themselves in this way, what do we do, right? Right. So this is reminding me of my stepfather. I remember there were also times, and I think this, this was the part of me that as a child yearned for a father, Mm -hmm. right? And so any moments that were nice with him, any moments that I can remember with with love, mm-hmm. those were so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Those were beautiful. And I still have some of those moments ingrained in there. But of course, they were surrounded by all of these things. So what you said, I think my father was actually a really sensitive being, but he wasn't allowed to be. I've also come to the understanding that I can only imagine my stepfather. No one drinks that much because they're okay. <laughs> no. Anyone that's drinking, they're drowning out their feelings like right. that, right? Right. They're hi- usually addicts are hyper, highly sensitive beings. Right. And so having the understanding that I have now, and by the way, he's still an alcoholic. I think he's going to transition out of this life unless there's a miracle because of his alcoholism, right? Mm-hmm. So as a 36-year-old woman now, I'm like, my God, the amount of pain this man must carry the amount of regret, perhaps, right? I mean, I haven't spoken to him in over 20 years, but again, no one is willing to drink themselves to death in the middle of the desert because they love themselves. No. That's an immense amount of pain. And and so drinking was always my stepfather's thing. I mean, he, anyway, he, you know, he could finish a whole six pack in an evening, like nothing every single day, right? Mm-hmm. And let's not even talk about the weekends, right? So that numbing out, I only wonder, what did you feel? What were your insecurities? And obviously my mother not having the capacity to hold it. And I mean, how could she, right? When he's like beating her to a pulp every couple of weeks, right? Mm -hmm. So here you have my mother who has immense trauma of her own, who was also caused immense trauma as a teenager by a man, you know, as life would have it, would end up with this alcoholic man who also, you know, just made life really bad. Mm -hmm. Right. It, It made me wonder how that carried on over to my brother, who was a lot softer and kinder and quieter and shyer and a lot of things, right? Well, he joined the military right after high school. And I remember that being such a shock to us because of his nature. And I remember when I asked him, why did you do this? And he said, because I need to be taught how to be a man. I will never forget that. I will never, ever forget that. And at the time he was 18, so I must have been 21. I thought, wow, our parents really fucked us up. (laughs) Our parents really fucked us up. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, here you have these kinder, outwardly kinder men, young men with no sense of direction because they're told that they have to be providers. What the Mm -hmm. fuck does that mean? Right? Right. What does being a provider mean? It just means that you go out and get a job and then you like give money to someone and you buy them a house and you have, you know, a bunch of kids and that's, that's your only role as a man, that's it. Never mind the trauma that they experienced, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy for us to hate on someone like my stepfather 
or that man who molested me when I was, you know, less than five years old. It's very easy to hate that. But my brother was a product of these men because the man who molested me was my stepfather's brother. So here is my brother with also this yearning of, I want to be taught how to be a man. And this is the only way I know how is the military. That says so much. Right. Where do they go? Where, where do we make room in our world for our men without outer desire for them to be well so that they are of service to us? Right. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It makes total sense. And, you know, when I think about my brother and my dad and my grandfathers, I would see sides of them that were really lovely and really beautiful. And that those were my favorite. And it brings tears to my Those were my favorite sides. And I don't think that enough men know how much we actually long to connect with them in that way. Right. And, but it felt like as soon as you got to a place, then all of a sudden it would go away and you would meet the personality self, which was dominant and not going to go there. And it was like shocking to the system. And then I remember my brother would look at me and I could tell all he saw was my mom and he made a lot of money. And I remember there was a time feel him looking at me like I wanted something from him. Because I think what you're saying is right. I think that men are taught that they must be providers. They have to work a certain job. They have to bring in a certain money Mm -hmm. because somebody's going to need or want something from them. And they have to be strong to protect the people that they love, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And they're not taught to be curious about their own feelings. They're not taught to explore their hearts. In my mind, there's probably no time for it because they have to protect, survive, and provide. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got pregnant, my husband like energetically disappeared for like a week or two after he found out and he was there, but I was like, where are you? And he was like, I'm in this primal part of myself. I'm thinking, how many deer do I have to kill to feed our family? How big a fence line do I have to make around us now to keep Mm -hmm. everyone safe? Like he Mm -hmm. went into this place. That was his first instinct was Mm -hmm. to go into planning. Mm -hmm. How do I provide and keep these people safe? Mm -hmm. It was fascinating to watch. So your question is, what was your question? (laughs) How do we hold space for our men without expecting, essentially without expecting something in return from that? That question came to me, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, and I wrote a post on it or a story on it that I can't remember verbatim now, but it went something along the lines of, our men want us to mirror things back to them. Our men genuinely crave for the wisdom that we carry as feminine, divine beings, (laughs) because that is who and what we are. We didn't have the capacity to bring life into this world if that is not who we are. Mm -hmm. And there's purpose to that, right? Mm -hmm. Men crave that. But here's what I think has happened is that we too have fallen into the space of, well, because of everything that I have experienced with other men, this one has to make up for all of that bullshit and prove that wrong. And that's not fair. So when we are in relationship with someone, one of the things that I've noticed is that, and this isn't me coming on a high horse, this is also something that I've had to accept in my journey with my current partner. We want them to be a certain way because if they are a certain way, then we don't have to feel scared, which is different than saying, I hope that you're happy. It matters to me that you're happy because you should be happy. (laughs) It matters to me that you do something that matters to you. Mm -hmm. It matters to me that as a human being, as an individual, you are well. And then that creates a different sense of safety, right? It creates a different dynamic and partnership. Does that that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I I just want to clarify, you know, we're... We're not talking about approaching men who are still mm-hmm. acting irresponsibly or right. abusive or are in a space that they can't receive or have this kind of conversation. Right. What we're talking about is how do we, mm-hmm. and since Millie and I both have men in our lives, how do we, and how does anyone else who has a man in their life, whether it's a friend, a lover, a loved one, 
And how do we see them for who they really are? How do we receive them in a different way? How do we not need them to provide or keep us safe in the sense in order for us to feel okay? Right. And with my healing of my relationship to men, there's been many times that I have felt that anger come up of all the men that have hurt me and all the fear. And I've looked at my husband and I have said to myself over and over again, this is not the place for that. It's a place I can speak about my anger, but it's not a place to put my anger because he is not responsible for that. Right. Nor does he need to carry mm-hmm. the weight of that. Mm-hmm. He he has his own wounding from the patriarchy and men mm-hmm. being abandoned by several different fathers. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is we need to look at men as individuals and we need to appreciate them as individuals and meet them in this place. Men long for intimacy. They yeah. long for emotional connection. Yeah. But we, with all our projections and our labels on them, we sometimes don't make space for that. And it's not our responsibility to necessarily make them make space for it, but it might be our responsibility in relationship to them to provide a space for them to soften and meet us there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that especially if as a woman who has been very hyper-independent in my journey, mm-hmm. right? And, and in that that fight mode for a long period of time. And, you know, I'm, I can take care of myself. I don't need anyone. The whole thing, right? From that trauma, holding a man's softness was difficult for me because I'd see it as weakness. I'd see it as, well, that's life, right? What are you going to do? Are you going to cry about it? Mm. Or are you going to do something about it? Because in my mind, that's where I had to go. And if I'm a woman and I can do that, then you should do that because you're a man. <laughs> oh man, that's that's so harsh all around to myself, to you know, these other men that had no fault at all in, in my story and my journey. But that's I think that's what men come to as well. When when we are in our hurt, our pain, our trauma, and we don't know how to hold someone else's softness, especially if that someone else is someone who we're supposed to, you know, rely on in some way to be our savior, to keep us safe, to do all of these things and and to come out of that, to come out of that is is incredibly hard. And I think that's important to name too. I think it's important to name that. You know, to your point, we're not saying put yourself in a position where you're trying to convince an abuser to see life in a different light. That's that's not what we're saying at all. But what we are saying is it matters that we're discerning about who we're placing this judgment on and why and where it comes from. Because over time and a ton of work, I realized that what makes me feel safe in my partnership is his openness, his softness, his vulnerability. That's where the safety really comes because we're being open about our Mm -hmm. fears, about our insecurities, but also about our dreams, about how much we support one another, right? But to hold that meant that I had to learn to hold myself as well. Yeah. And curiosity and self-awareness takes a lot of courage. And I think what we have a pattern is in a lot of ways of people not slowing down enough to notice like, I don't like the way I'm expressing myself or I don't like the way I'm holding this or I don't like this pattern I'm recreating that was done to me mm-hmm. and taking time to assess whether they want to continue. I remember when I when I became a parent and still this happened, there'll be times where I can find myself in a situation with my child and I have this impulse to do something. And I'm like, that doesn't feel right in my body because that was done to me or said to me, or it's what I, I knew how to parent. But I was like, but I don't know how to be. I don't know what the right thing is. And I remember sitting in the expanse of like the unknown and curiosity and going, well, I don't want to repeat this, but I don't know what's right. And I think sometimes we need to sit in the discomfort of, I don't know how to hold this person in this way. Like, I don't know how to hold my partner's softness or my my good male friend's softness because I'm not familiar with this vulnerability, but I know that it's important and I'm willing to sit with it and I'm willing to explore the unknown with this person. And I'm willing to not find my safety in how much they provide or how much they make, but I'm willing to sit in something different and be curious. Like, can we create a different type of relationship? Yeah. And I feel like one of the things that comes up so often is the terms male fragility and toxic masculinity. And, you know, male fragility is like a male's response to women's empowerment or women choosing themselves or feminism. And then 
it's expressed in a toxic way where it can be try to overpower or dominate. It can be manipulative and gaslighting. And I think we need to separate out those terms between your partner or someone you love who's male, who's having feelings is not male fragility. Mm-hmm. It's actually vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference mm-hmm. between manipulative behavior versus a true heart-to-heart connection and heartfelt expression. That's vulnerability. Yeah. And to label those terms as my partner's just being fragile, that's just, to me, it's gross. And it's so, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially in in that space, we are rejecting someone else's experience and saying that they're wrong for having it, Mm -hmm. which is as women, one of the things that we have been fighting for or one of the things, yeah. So, you know, when, when patriarchy is spoken of, I don't think that we realize again as women, how much we've also internalized it. We've internalized it a lot. Because we've had to do it as a means to survive, right? Mm -hmm. In a male dominated world, we've had to play that role. But to come out of that and to see each being as a being who's having an experience, and some of those experiences are awful experiences that make them make awful decisions and and all of the things, there's something about taking that step back. There's something about taking that step back and saying, I I need to come back to myself. What you said earlier was a really great point, which is curiosity and self-awareness can allow you to hold people differently. And that also allows you to be mindful of not going into a relationship with someone whose level of consciousness is not where yours is at, right? So this doesn't mean that you try to change the abuser. This doesn't mean that you try to change someone's addiction or whatever they're going through, because that is also a role that we can fall into, right? Mm -hmm. I I can save them. I can help them. No, but your curiosity towards self and and the self-awareness that you have of you can allow you to say, "Mm, this person's really on their own journey. I don't need to be here. I send them with a lot of love. That's very different than saying this person is an asshole and they may be an asshole and you are also allowed to say that. And you can also understand that they are on their own journey. And I think that being able to do that with the people that wrong us, hurt us, or that we just have a negative experience with is what allows us to come back to ourselves and give those that are not, that that are more on our level of consciousness, an opportunity. And so when I say levels of consciousness, this isn't a hierarchy, this isn't better or worse, this isn't good or bad. This is just think of it as as a wave frequency that you're thinking on. They can meet you where you are. Right. To have a conversation. Right. And as a mother of two boys, it's so important to remember these babies don't come out abusers and assholes. They don't come out cold. They don't come out manipulative or sex addicts or cheaters or liars or whatever other labels we put on them. They don't come in as the patriarchy. They don't come into this realm that way. No. They come in as these incredible beings with like a path and a journey and these beautiful qualities. I love how children, they already have qualities that they come in with that have nothing to do with us. Right. It's the environment that shapes or supports those qualities or can destroy those beautiful aspects of them. And so that we need to remember that when we're looking at these men who we love or are in relationship with, it started somewhere. Mm -hmm. It didn't, they didn't come into the world this way. And hopefully if they're meeting you where you are in your relationship to them, they're doing their part to heal whatever has happened to them. But we have to hold them in a different light. Just like we as women didn't come in with this patriarchy bullshit. Mm -hmm. We've been fed it Mm -hmm. and bought into it. And now we're rewiring our brains and trying to cleanse ourselves of it. So I just think when we can hold that idea of these innocent beings being shaped this way, you know, it it allows for more compassion. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who is in this space of, no, I fucking hate men. Mm -hmm. I know I've been too hurt by them. They've done some atrocious things. I fucking hate them. And and I think that, I think that part of the journey is necessary, but I'm I'm curious. I was going to say, I get it. Yeah. Totally get it. Right. Right. I'm curious to what your take is on that. Well, I mean, I think it's similar to how I felt about my family when I stopped being in contact with them. Mm -hmm. I fucking hated everybody. Right. And I was so angry for a long time. 
And, you know, I think if you hate men, I would get in therapy or get a coach and do some healing around your trauma around it. Not because you don't have to feel that way, but because I feel like when you're in that place of hatred and such trauma and hurt, you're missing out on a softness of life. You're missing out on connection and healing. So like with my family, I don't want contact with my family, but through my own healing, I can understand, man, my dad, where my dad came from. I can understand where my mother came from. I can understand on a spiritual level that they were my teachers in this life and these journeys that came together. And I love knowing that and feeling that in my body because there's an expansiveness and softness. I can connect to myself in a better way. Because if I'm in a place of, I hate all men, then I'm not connecting to the places that I'm actually hurt. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, there's something you're really afraid of, mm-hmm. something that's wounded inside you that you should look at so that you can have an expansive love for self and be open and safe enough in this world that you could actually love men. Right. right. You know, so there's something that I would say it's about your own healing. It's not that you have to go and be in a relationship with a man. Right. We are all connected. Right. And when you start doing that work, you remember we're all connected and my pain is their pain is their pain is my pain. Ah. Uh. That hit me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it too. Oh, that that one got me. Yes, I think that because here's another thing. I think that another thing that we are conditioned to do is to numb our pain, right? And because we're not allowed to be angry, we're not allowed to say, mm-hmm. you know, I hate my father for having done this to me. I hate that man for having broken my heart. I hate him, right? And I say, say it <laughs> exactly. There was a point in my own healing journey where I had to say out loud that there was a moment where I hated my parents because I believe that if they had given me a different upbringing, I wouldn't be experiencing so much pain. And that may be true. And to your point, they were my teachers in this lifetime. But for you, if, if you're in the space of like, no, fuck that, right? I hate them. For you to get to the point of, oh, I get it. That was part of my journey. For us to get to that was part of my journey. I chose this lifetime. That was my path. This is what my soul came here to understand. Before we get to that, which I do believe is fundamentally true, Mm -hmm. you have to allow yourself to say how pissed off you are if you are experiencing momentary or, you know, prolonged hatred towards someone. Find safe space to say it out loud. Because what I used to think that if I said that out loud about my mom, for instance, that I was a bad daughter. No, my my mom and I had a shitty relationship at some point and she really hurt me at some point. And that's okay, right? No matter what we're feeling, who we're feeling it towards, we have to allow ourselves to feel the anger, to feel the pain. If it's hatred, whatever it is, feel it in that moment, in that safe space. Because if it's not addressed in that safe space, it will come out. It will come out in other ways. It will come out in very destructive ways. Which circles back full circle is what we're talking about. Exactly. With these men unable to deal with their pain and don't have the soft space to process it. And hate builds a wall around fear and trauma. So you can build your wall and keep it there for as long as you need to. Mm -hmm. But at some point, hate is just a way of avoiding the hurt that's underneath or the fear that's underneath of being so vulnerable in this life, whatever you're hating towards. Yeah. And so the hate then prevents you from going deep within yourself. Yeah. You know, so initially it becomes a boundary and it becomes part of your life energy that needs to be expressed. Then it starts to become something that eats you alive. Yeah. And steals your steals your joy. It does. It really does steal your joy because whether you want to admit it or not, you're making decisions from that hurt space. Yes. That's where your decisions are coming from, especially if it's been a coping mechanism you've created to survive. And then we become the monsters. Right. Exactly. We become, we we then become the person who wants to manipulate, the person who wants to own, right? Control. Control. I had several women in my life who I love who say, you know, he's my man. And I hate that he's available for anyone else. Mm. And it's like, my love, he's not yours. He never was. He never will be. He's your partner. And I remember having that conversation with a really good friend of mine. And I remember her being stunned. It's like, 
you don't own him. No. And so that's another part of our pain, another part of our wounding. If I find a good man, if I just keep him right here, then he's only mine. And this is my sense of safety. Oh, no. And I'm going to butcher it. I love what our lovely friend, Danae Logan says about love being honoring someone else's soul. Mm -hmm. You know, because when we honor someone's soul, we recognize that their path is their path is their path. Right. And that if that path is a part of a connection, if that path includes a connection to us and our path is a part of that, then we'll explore that together. But we don't own anybody. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I first met my partner, I can say this out loud now because I know that I'm in a different space in my life and I share it because again, all of the things that I talk about or most of the things are really based on my own journey, my own experience. And I want to be transparent about them. He's a musician. He's been a musician pretty much all of his life, traveled the world. He's an artist. He loves what he does. So he is accessible to a lot of people and he has community and he has friends. And and for someone who comes from from trauma to the degree that I do, that is the last thing right? That, that I want, that I, that I have allowed myself to have in the past community, friends. No, you can't trust anyone ever, right? So when we first met, he really brought me into his world. He brought me, you know, immediately his shows and friends and all of that. And at the time, thank goodness, I was already studying astrology and, and I was doing group therapy. I remember thinking, Ugh, how am I going to dim that? Because I don't mm. like that. How am I going to, how am I going to stop that? Mm. And what I meant by that was, you know, him being who he was, mm. him shining his light, having friends, right? Having a community. I don't like that. And remembering how that didn't sit well in my body mm. because that's not who we are. No. And I remember that thought and almost immediately rejecting it, but not understanding why. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not right, right? Here's a, another human being who had a whole life before me. And who do I think I am to try and come into it and be like, you can't do that or you can't be that. That's, that's, that was such a significant point almost in the beginning of our relationship that, again, thankfully, I, I had a space to process it and, and it was safe and it was incredible to say, oh, you're afraid, right. you're afraid. It's okay. such a human moment. And I think what that demonstrates is mindfulness. Right. It's such a human moment because we're not above having these thoughts and feelings, you know? Right. And that's the thing is mm -hmm. I have so much trauma, fear of abandonment, betrayal, all sorts of stuff. And I've had to navigate those feelings and I have to choose, am I going to express this on my partner who has showed me no signs mm -hmm. or no mm -hmm. symptoms of anything, any of this worry, or am I going to nurture myself and start to do the healing on my own fear? And start to right. pay attention to the consistency, what's actually happening between us, what's actually happening in the relationship. But I think so many people have those kinds of feelings, those jealousy, those want to control. And it's what we do with that that makes such a difference. So I would say to anybody, you're not bad for feeling that way, just like Millie went through that. But she was like, that's information and I need to look at this closer. And what do I want to do with this? Which is really mm -hmm. powerful. Absolutely. Because knowing, knowing him, I believe that if I had sunk my heels into that, he would have said, we can't have this relationship. And, and, and knowing what I know now, good for him, yeah. but he, you know, good for, him. good for him. So I'm glad that I took that as information and was able to allow myself the opportunity to be loved by a kind man who is very much himself. And and now at our at this point in our relationship is I don't want him to be anything other than himself. I want him to experience joy in his craft and his art because now I know, oh, that's what makes this relationship so beautiful. That's what makes us come together as a partnership and create something together because we're able to create something individually. But to get to where I was, where I hated men, I really didn't have any respect for them and you know, I express that in so many ways to get to where I am now, including, you know, men who have broken my heart, who have broken my trust, my abuser, my stepfather, my father who was absent is I've got me. It's okay. Yeah. That has taken a lot of work, a lot of years. Okay. But it's possible. 
it comes back to what kind of life do I want to experience and what kind of experiences do I want to have with men in my life? Mm-hmm. And as soon as we stop expecting them to be a certain way and come back to cultivate love within ourselves and allow ourselves to feel everything and be everything in that journey, in that moment, things change, but it doesn't happen overnight. No, no. And we need men. Yeah. We need their beautiful energy. And we have the masculine feminine within us. Right. And we need models of the healthy masculine. Right. And they need models of the healthy feminine because they have those aspects within them. So we need this energy. It serves a purpose. And to shut it off or separate ourselves from it means we're missing out on connecting with them, but we're also missing out on something important within yeah. ourselves. Yeah. So we hope that this conversation opened up something in you. We didn't have this conversation today to tell anyone that they're wrong about feeling a certain way. Not at all. If anything, what you may feeling is absolutely valuable and necessary if your intention is to get to the other side of it and to understand it and hold it from a different perspective. And, and I find that so important to name because a lot of times we want to get to forgiveness without having to go through what we need to go through in order to genuinely forgive ourselves and someone else. Holding it in safe space is necessary before I think we can get to a space of understanding and forgiveness and everything we're talking about. It's not just a matter of saying, well, that happened and I got to forgive. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's eating me up. No, no, no. Always a process. Yeah. Right. So thank you all so much. Yeah. And as always, if you like the episode or you like the podcast, please rate and review. We would really appreciate that. And if you have any suggestions for topics, we would love to hear from you on our Instagram page. And you have a retreat coming up. Is it full? It's not full yet. There are a few spots left. So this is the Astro Yoga Adventure Retreat in Antigua, Guatemala from October 3rd through the 8th. We have a few spots available. It's a pretty small, intimate group. We're all staying in a beautiful house in central Antigua together. Oh, I cannot wait. In a colonial town surrounded by, you know, green hills and mountains. It's, it's just going to be so beautiful. Reach out to me. And this isn't going to come probably till September, October, but I am creating space for soul astrology group coaching. So that's, I'm still working on that. Inspiration is coming through me. So if you're interested, let me know, shoot me your email and I'll keep you posted. I have found that, you know, one-on-one coaching can be out of people's reach sometimes, which is fine. So I'm creating this group um, Mm -hmm. so that it's feasible, but it's also in community. Oh, that sounds exciting. I can't wait to hear more about that. And also in September, a group of us, a group of intuitives will be hosting a soul circle event where we will be offering readings to participants. And so Millie's a part of this. She's not a part of the one in September, but we will be having these in September, October, and December. So if you're looking for a group of experience and you'd like to receive a reading and just have an afternoon of soul connection, look for those on my Instagram page. Any details? Beautiful. Yay. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.